Your own words are more important than anybody else's. Sure, learn Shakespeare, you know, learn Chekhov, learn Tennessee Williams, learn some of the masters that have great words, but your words are going to go faster than theirs. Everyone's played Tennessee Williams at one time, right? Everyone's played Shakespeare. Sure, you can do that, but your words are your words. Brian Smith here, and welcome to the Dream Path Podcast, where I try to get inside the heads of talented creatives from all over the world. My goal is to demystify and humanize the creative process and make it accessible to everyone. Now let's jump in. Nick Basta is on the show today. Nick is a television and film actor. His film credits include Harriet, about Harriet Tubman's escape from slavery, which was nominated for two Oscars, and The Glorious, a biopic about Gloria Steinem, starring Julianne Moore, Alicia Vikander, and Janelle Monet. His TV credits include a major role in Turn, Washington Spies, Season 3 of True Detective with Stephen Dorff, and the upcoming DC comic series Stargirl, starring Luke Wilson. I met Nick at the Sundance Film Festival this year. My wife and I were at the premiere of a film called Uncle Frank. Great film, by the way. I heard it was picked up by Amazon, so hopefully you'll be able to see it on Amazon Prime soon. Anyway, as my wife and I are waiting for Uncle Frank to start, we're talking about what movies we're planning to see the next day. When my wife mentions the movie The Glorias, this guy sitting next to me says, Hey, I'm in The Glorious. That guy was Nick Basta. So Nick and I get to talking about his role in that film, how the premiere was the next day, etc. And by the time Uncle Frank started, Nick agreed to this interview. I had a lot of fun talking to Nick. Not only is he a great actor who's been in some fantastic TV series and films, he's also an extremely eclectic artist and creative. He actually went to school to become a clay artist. He's also a musician, a college professor, and was even a stilt clown in New Orleans for a while before he found his way into acting. Nick eventually graduated from Harvard's Advanced Theater Training Program. In addition to talking about how he made his way into acting, Nick tells us about his passion project, a biopic on Yogi Berra's life. Nick recently purchased the rights to Yogi Berra's life story and wrote a screenplay based on Yogi's life, which he is currently trying to get made into a film or television series. So without further ado, I hope you enjoy my conversation with actor Nick Basta. All right, everything's Please recording. Please go to 11. Ace <laughs> one's here. It's you know, just... your, your British accent, I, I, I noticed in your reel that you were um, in turn, right? It's not right? bad. You know, it's not bad. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's really good. It was fun. I, um, I was one of the only American Redcoats in turn Washington Spies, so I had a lot of critical advice. <laughs> when it was wrong, they let me know. <laughs> yeah, that's so. fun. So who, who let you know? Was it like a uh, coach or Sam, something? Uh, Sam Roken was the, like, he was kind of my boss in the show, so he would let me know. And then, no, we had, there was no dialect coach, so I did something right. Uh, and then Berg Gorman was one and Jamie Bell. There were a bunch of uh, British guys that were playing the things, and I was really on one of the only American Redcoats. There was one other American Redcoat, but he, he got killed off. Yeah. And then I got killed off. So. And so how, how big of a shoot was that? How, how big of an operation? I mean, they did four seasons. So they bought the sets from John Adams in Richmond, Virginia, and State Farm. And so we filmed there. And then I had one episode, and it became 10. Nice. And that's how if you keep just showing up, you keep doing the work, then people, they keep hiring you. <laughs> and that's what I want. I hate yeah. getting killed off, man. <laughs> was that your first television series that uh, resulted in a regular appearance? Um, oh, like yeah, the first big, I'd done two or three series with three episodes, four episodes, nothing really large, but that was the biggest kind of, you know, in other scales, you could tell it was like almost um, a, a recurring guest. You know, it was like a co, but it was a, it was a character, you know? It was, yeah. I was high on the call sheet. So it was a, my biggest TV show probably to date. 
So what are the the different terms that actors and showrunners use to describe a role? Mm -hmm. I guess the vernacular of mm -hmm. how they refer to like a series regular. What is a series regular? Well, that's the biggest part of TV is a series regular. It's like you're in service of are you're you're the ones that they're taught the stories about. So, for instance, Turn had like twelve. So it's a lot of storylines that you got to bobble. You know, sometimes they course get together, but then your your lowest rung is co star. That's your like your day player. And after our like soaps, they'd be like under five. That's how they would label it. Then you have a guest star, which is more in service of the star. You're uh, usually a named part. Uh, you, you, there's an arc to you. You have something to do. Something happens to you. And then recurring guest star, which would be somebody that comes back with something to do. And then you have series regular. So that's yeah. really how it comes. But again, it's all about money. So if they can get away with co-star with you know lower ranked people, they'll do it. Yeah, everyone's all about that. Mm-hmm. In fact, in turn, Washington Spies, I was killed off in the last episode of season two. Bullet through the head. You can see it. it's online. It's on my reel. Right. And then they wanted me back as a body, <laughs> but I'm like, nope. I'm doing as a, you're going to pay me. Right. If you're going to come back because I got buried alive for two straight hours, and it was actually one of the scariest things I'd ever done. And it was cold. It was 50 degrees, so the ground was like 45. And I was like, no, nah, I'm fine. I'm from, from New York. I'm going to be okay. But I got freeze, like frigid toes. And yeah. I swear, I almost thought, even growing up in New York, I had never been this cold in my Hypothermia toes. Hypothermia territory. Yeah. So I made him pay me that extra amount for that first episode of season three. <laughs> nice. And I got it. Because yeah. they really wanted a real body. To me, it was like, what do you, what do you care? Like just, you know, dress somebody up, but they really wanted the real thing. So how do you know how to, like when to put your foot down and fight and when to well, let, you know, let them. You know, it's not up to you. It's your, usually your agent. You sort of have, have advice. You know, you want to tell them what you want and you can stand up for it. You know, there's always de- decisions. You know, I don't know at the bigger levels, you know, when you just get offered work, you, it's a different right. game than me. I'm the, I'm your working white guy over 40. Yeah. Or 35 on a good day. You know, you, you just got to decide. What's right for you at the time. If you have yeah. a lot of offers, you're going to get be, be choosy. But that's what I wanted to do, and they took it. So, do you yeah. think it's important to have an agent at your level? You uh, have to have an agent in the industry. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean, unless you're like so famous that they just you don't need one. Yeah, but that's not really the case. Hold on, there's it, so much TV now that there's so much work. Everyone's getting paid less, but there's so much work that you have to be exposed. That's how you get the introductions. You know, you have to meet the casting directors in South or New York, LA. Uh, London, and then you have to develop relationships. It's slow, but you can't do that with introductions. Are very difficult. Yeah, you know, unless you're gorgeous or related to somebody. <laughs> Meryl Streep's daughter has no problem getting a job. Right. Yeah. So, so having an agent, and just for my listeners who most of whom don't have agents and are probably not in mm-hmm. the industry, uh, they're the ones that advocate for you, right? The, yeah, that's it. Yeah, they're, they're, they're conduit into the game. Right. You know, unless you're doing other things like late, later in life, in my life, I've understood that the fastest way to get there is like stand up. You can be funny. You're, people will find you. Do you stand up? Look how many comedians become dramatic actors. That's true. Yeah. Will Ferrell. I mean, yeah. you know, he just had downhill here. Did you get to see it? I saw it and I interviewed him. Oh, you did? Yeah. Yeah. He's a great guy. <laughs> Red carpet interview. It wasn't a podcast, yeah. but yeah. Yeah, still. Yeah. Uh, you know, he didn't really do anything overtly. Will Ferrell-ish in this. It was pretty dramatic, you know? Yeah. So, it's Robin Williams, you know, you see these these things. To me, it's just like I'm always looking at young actors. How are you going to do it the fastest way? You could take 10, 15 years and struggle, or you could just go be funny really fast, mm-hmm. <laughs> and then you'll get to that. Is that, that how you did it? Not me, but no, I'm just okay. saying, looking back, if I were to do it again, 
Oh, that's, you know, that's one of the questions I normally ask of my guests is Mm -hmm. if you could go back and, you know, change your career path in any way, how would you do it? And it sounds like stand up is what you would have. I mean, it's hard, right? It's nothing's easy. So the thing is like, if you make it, if you're going to do everything hard anyway, I mean, you you know, your past are like, it's taken 25 years to get to Sundance in a real movie, Mm -hmm. you know, everything's hard. Stand up is incredibly difficult, scary. You're going to fail. But if you, if you're able to do your own words, if you're able to make your own stuff, and I guess that's what I'm saying, not just stand up, but it's like make your own work. Your own words are more important than anybody else's. Sure. Learn Shakespeare, you know, learn Chekhov, learn Tennessee Williams, learn some of the masters that have great words, but your words are going to go faster than theirs. Right. Everyone's played Tennessee Williams at one time, right? Everyone's played Shakespeare. Sure. You can do that, but your words are your words. Mm. That's why I'm, you know, the Yogi Berra project right now. So I'm doing all this good stuff I've had the last two and a half years is because I'm writing the Yogi Berra screenplay. And all that energy has come from that, that activity. Now, I don't know why it's taken 25 years. Well, it's not that long, quite like 20. Yeah. I've been thinking about it. I want to make my own stuff, make my own stuff. I finally did it. And then, you know, I got the rights and it's like one thing after the other. And then you become part of the gang and it's all the ways in, you know, it's all the ways how you, 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 you fake it till you make it. So tell us more about the Yogi Berra project and how that came to uh, well, fruition. I'm from New York, Syracuse, New York, grew up a Yankees fan. My grandfather was huge. Um, I didn't grow up going to the stadium, but I'm Italian. Uh, Yogi Berra is Italian. He's first generation, born in St. Louis. Uh, story's never been told in feature film. Why not? Well, I mean, it's one of those questions. Good idea. A lot of malapropisms. You know, I give him a good story. Never graduated eighth grade. Uh, he was in World War II at 19 years old in D-Day. It's actually served in D-Day. Story's never been told. To me, it's like, all right, this is the passion I have. I want to tell an immigrant story like mine. My dad is the second generation hmm. Italian-American. And it's never been told. And he's always been a hero of mine. You know, coming from nothing, everyone seemingly unattractive, unintelligent, says these really wise things when nobody expects them. Yeah. He's Why? almost Mark Twain-like in it's that exactly. way. That's how I define him. It's like a modern-day Mark Twain. Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, they, they say the same American thing. They're both American icons, without a doubt. And how has it never been made? Well, why not? Why not make it? So I got the rights uh, from the family. How did you do that? Uh, I have a good lawyer friend in Wilmington. I live in Wilmington, North Carolina now. And he's an entertainment lawyer. And he researched them and found them. And we went up and had a meeting last March and signed on the dotted line. I got them for two more years. So you have and, them for a particular time when you have to create this project by a certain deadline. Yeah. So I'm on the clock. Yeah. <laughs> You're always on the clock. Now you could extend that. Hopefully we get somebody involved. You know, we got some stars. That we uh, One star in mind. I can't really say who. Uh, that I wrote the project for someone I went to graduate school with. So you might be able to figure that out. But, um, you know, if he does it, it it would be a lot faster. It was written for him. You know, the the family supports it at this point. We've got to do some rewrites. You know, it's it's a long, long process. And I'm essentially producing now, too, because it's very difficult, Mm -hmm. challenging in a lot of different areas. So it's mainly the passion. One person I interviewed a while back, uh, her name is Bettina Gilois. And she wrote, she's does a lot of biopics and uh, she wrote the screenplay for McFarland USA with Kevin oh, yeah. Costner, yeah. Um, Bessie mm-hmm. with Queen Latifah on HBO. Oh, yeah. She was nominated for an Emmy for, Emmy for that. And uh, I talked to her about the process of the decisions that you have to make because you have this entire life mm-hmm. that you're examining and an entire life. If you were to take it and lay it out just linearly, it's probably going to bore the shit out of people. Right. So how did you go about with your screenplay taking, you know, granted a very intriguing character, but picking and choosing the moments that are going to create a narrative that really uh, hits the screen right? Well, you ask an excellent question because this is the biopic problem. What do you tell? 
Now, with television becoming so important more than features, unless it's Avengers or this and that, you have a new platform. The golden age of television right now, as they, they say, and I really like it. You have so much to choose from, so much money being available with Netflix, etc. You're able to tell a longer story. A lot of those decisions have not been made yet. You know, we're still in the beginning stages of what the script is and okay. what, what it's going to be. So I really can't answer that. I know that cradle to grave, you cannot do it. Yes, you're right. right. Although the Glorious seemed to. Well, yeah, <laughs> she, she, yeah, Tamor pull, pull it off, right? I mean, yeah. I wasn't bored. Yeah. You know, she never bores me. Now, that's the question. I mean, can you tell everything? No. Can you tell what's important? Yeah. But normally, I think the family sort of wants to tell it like a journalistic side of things, fact by fact by fact. And of yeah. course, you can't do that. Feature films are never, this is the real story, right? How often do you see that? You know, I've never seen it. Mm-hmm. Based on a real story. Okay. Uh, we're still in those decision-making phases right now. Well, and I also I interviewed a poet named Tess Gallagher a while back, and she talked about this concept of truth really coming out through fiction more than it does through facts, Mm -hmm. that facts are not the best way to tell a story. Yeah. And because you, you really the legend. Yeah. You just miss the, never let the truth. A lie get involved with a a good story (laughs) or the truth get involved with a true story. Right. Um, There are decisions to be made. I mean, it actually is, I think in my script, the version I have right now is pretty close to truth, probably 85%, if not 90. Mm Mm-hmm. Because of what he's gone through, World War II and pursuit of uh, 10 championships. You know, he won 10 World Series. Oh, I did not know that. Yeah. he's He participated in 24 as a player and a coach. This is a guy who did not graduate eighth grade. I mean, a lot of it's just, wow, amazing. But mm-hmm. the way it's crafted, those decisions will have to be made, cut. At this point, I think it's a condensing the product. We'll see how that might go, but it's step by step. In terms of the, the final cut, does the, does the family have final cut? in your contract or is that no mm. no i no i mean he's a historical figure oh okay so yeah he's, so if you he have was some, alive it would be different right you have some yeah. leeway there we hope yeah i'm a nice guy i don't want to <laughs> ruffle well yeah feathers, yeah at the end of the day you don't want to have an angry I think when money family. gets involved it's a lot it helps a lot of <laughs> decisions and problems yeah you know? we're yeah. at the first step we have an agent interested uh, uh sean barclay of gersh agency in la so we're pretty excited to have somebody that, that that's excited about the project. Now, if that project kind of goes the way of a six-part series or something like that, is that something you're open to or are you looking at feature oh, film? Yeah, yeah, definitely. No, I mean, you have to be open to the platforms that are available right now. And it, it very much excites me to tell a miniseries because then you could really get into the depths of it. That's what I've noticed about television series is I find myself gravitating toward them because they're just smaller chunks you know, and our time is just seems we're pulled in so many directions with social media and work. And it's nice to be able to take like a 45 minute or one hour, yeah. you know, episode. Boom. It's kind know. of the way of the future. Yeah. I mean, my wife and I go out, we're like, oh, dinner and movie. Definitely going to do it. Get a babysitter, the whole thing. And then by the time dinner's over, like, do you want to just go home and watch Netflix? I mean, I swear, I know that's like most families <laughs> in the world, but right. it's like every single time. Yeah. And the, the uh, theaters don't help because they do three seatings. Because now it's like four, six thirty, and like 9.30. Yeah. And I never want to go like at those times. It's always, you know, you always want to go to eight, like you go to dinner at 6.30 and eight. That should be. But That's true. Be. I didn't think about the timing just, of that. It's just like if your movie's at 9.30, it's never going to make it. Well, and then you got to drive there. 
Yeah. You know, and then the whole bear, I mean, there's so many barriers to the theater and I feel yeah. badly because I think film, you know, the way Scorsese wanted us to see it's we're in a weird area, you real know? movies. You know, yeah. Our age is like it. You know? And I, and I watched the Irishman on my phone. I mean, that's not, <laughs> that's not the way it should go according to Scorsese, but it just, uh, it I'm kind of believe him. I mean, you know, Godfather two is uh, one of my favorite movies, you know, obviously Coppola, but yeah, you, you you just don't have that time. You don't have that space. You, you just, it's a different world. It is. It's, it's, I guess kind of sad. Our kids will never have that you know, experience maybe. And I, I do, I, I agree with Scorsese. I don't really like the uh, superhero movies. I've never seen one in the theater. Yeah. I, you know, I'll watch them if my kids ask me to watch one, but they're not even really watching them these days. It's just, and, uh, you know, it's, it, I have to, you know, I have to give it to the directors and the producers of those films. They're actually really well done. I, I mean, mean, they're crafted. I mean, these yeah. are experts. Everyone needs the job. Even the acting's pretty good yeah. most of the time. But, you know, it's not film. I mean, I guess that's why uh, Sundance is so important because these are really films. They really are. Yeah, and they're different and they challenge. I saw The Father yesterday. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, my goodness. I mean, it was a play originally by the director and then they filmed essentially the play, but it had Anthony Hopkins. You're like, I don't care what it is. I'll, I'll go watch him in anything he does and mm -hmm. he was unreal that was a great film you saw it yeah i did i was there and uh and i was there for the premiere and i, I actually interviewed the director about it at the red carpet and uh i was hoping anthony would be there but oh not, my god none yeah. of the talent showed up for oh, did, it. I, did i say yesterday i guess i did yeah i wasn't sure <laughs> it didn't seem like a premiere though did it? It, it it you know you just have the director there but he's a great talent he, but yeah skilled i mean it was a little slow and it was different it was just but that was a film I mean, that's not going to, you know, that's not going to make a lot of money, but no, but no, they yeah. are still out there. But it's art. It really is yeah, art. It's art. Yeah. yeah. And, and at the end, and what I noticed about Anthony Hopkins is, and, and Olivia Coleman too. Oh, I mean, ridiculous. Come on. Yeah. The whole cast. I mean, but, the Brits, the Brits, they got us. But her, they do. They do. <laughs> her, Olivia Coleman's expression on her face, whenever Anthony Hopkins would say something, like he would say something that is flattering and you'd see her face light up and he would say something that, Okay, it's the disease. It's the dementia talking, but she still can't help but be deflated when he says something awful. And that just that little look in her eyes, it's just in her eyes. And you're like, this is, these people yes, are hitting some people, it out of the park. They're both, I'm sure, I've never seen Hopkins on stage, but I'm sure he's ridiculous. And Coleman's, you know, she's a theater gal from way back. So it's like, you know, it's amazing. Cause it's tough to do both. Mm -hmm. You know, very rarely can you do both. There's some people that are really good film actors that can't can't pull it on stage what, what did you think of that scene not to get too film buffy talking about other movies but what did you think of that scene with anthony hopkins where he was trying to charm the housekeeper the new help and he just turned i mean he just turned on this charisma and charm i mean and then and then on, he's like a god he yeah just, you can't you can't keep he was just became a character yeah i mean but i've always like sounds for the lambs i mean he oh yeah He's just amazing. You have to see. I think everyone should see it just for the performance. Mm -hmm. And that's what me as an actor. I'm like, oh my god, that that was, that was worth the price of admission. That was a little bit slow towards the end. I'm like, where are we going? This sort of thing. But my dad's kind of 77 too, and I see some of the same expressions. I'm like, oh, really, really hit home. Mm -hmm. I'd like to see this guy's theater work, but I mean, yeah, Hopkins just and didn't, didn't matter what he did. Yeah. So tell us what brings you to Sundance. I'm in the uh, the Gloria's movie um, with Julie Taymor. Wrote with Sarah Rule. Uh, Julianne Moore's in it with Alicia Vikander. I play the New York editor, one of the editors that actually is nice to uh, Gloria Steinem in her writing days. Premiered here, first showing actually. In fact, uh, Julie Taymor, who directed, just said she finished it last week. 
<laughs> so they're looking for a distributorship. You know, it's a, it's a real doe. I, I had three scenes in it with Alicia. So I'm sorry, Alicia. It was lovely. She was Um, fantastic. And you were fantastic. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Yeah. It was really cool to meet you before and then see you up on the big screen and then talk to you afterwards. I love it. Sundance, you sit next to a guy and you're like, well, you got to make a conversation, right? Right. (laughs) Yeah. Just so the listeners know how that, Mm -hmm. how that came about is I was sitting next to Nick in the audience uh, of, of what? what? Uncle Frank. Uncle Frank. Yeah. Yeah. Filmed in Wilmington. Oh, I didn't know that. My good friend, Jane McNeil's in it. Yeah. Oh yeah. I read for that two parts. Oh yeah, which which parts for the um, brother, the brother-in-law, and then the um, I think the Bernard character. Okay, so uh, Steve Zahn was the was he, Steve? he was the brother. This is the, the brother-in-law. Oh, brother-in-law. Yeah, okay. so I guess Jane's wife. Yeah, he's a local guy, Burgess uh, something. He was in Marshall, Leo Marshall. But uh, yeah, you know, it's fun have seen that. So yeah, yeah. Uncle so Frank. so we're sitting there at Uncle Frank, and uh, I'm talking to my wife about going to see the Glories, and and you're like, you're going to go see the Glories? Yeah, like, yeah. And he's like, I'm in the glorious, and so uh, we we met that way, and and to, then to see yeah, you, my w- pleasure, Brian. Such a great role uh, to be working with Alicia too, uh, oh, yeah. because that and she's just electric throughout the whole movie. Yeah. But to see her playing off of you and you playing off of her, and it was a good playful relationship. That uh, you know, sometimes you don't really have a lot of time to kind of dive into a character as much. You know, I just probably got hired a week before that. So you do what you can. I had never met Julie. She wrote it. So, she, you know, we have a couple, we have like 20 minutes to talk about the character. Yeah. And then she tells me it's about Clay Felker, based on Clay Felker, who was one of the editors that gives Gloria Steinem her money for Ms. Magazine mm-hmm. or lends her or gives her support. And I didn't know that. And it was like kind of nice. An interesting story about that if we have a minute. Yeah. Uh, I was able to get that part because I was a nice guy. So the line is, if you see it is, love the glasses. It's kind of when Gloria becomes herself. Uh-huh. It's like that turn yeah. when she starts wearing those glasses. And it could be factually true. But the reality is all the people read a mean, they wrote like a nasty editor. And of course, there were already, not to give it away, but two other nasty editors. And I read it like, oh, I love the glasses. Like he actually did like the glasses. So when Julie told me you, you read that differently than everybody else. There's your lesson for your young actors. Do it differently than everybody else. Yeah. Because that's how you get seen. So I read it. Well, why doesn't he like them? If he actually says the words, love the glasses, it doesn't have to be negative. So I said, no, love the glasses. Anyway, Gloria, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. And so that's how I got the part because Julie told me that's how I got the part. And you rarely get feedback like that. Oh, that's awesome. When you audition. So it's like, oh, it's nice to know that. Yeah. And she's such a big time director that, you know, she's God. Goddess, uh, you know, yeah, Lion she, King, Frida, mm-hmm. across the universe. She does what she wants. She's creative. She doesn't need to do things like this, but she just sees an artist through and through. Yeah. So when you when you landed that part, what were you thinking in terms of? I was nervous. Her? I mean, you're acting with Academy Award winner. Yeah. <laughs> you're like, oh snap! I better be okay. So, uh-huh. so you know, it's like a little bit of nerves. I did have scenes with uh, Mahershala Ali this year in True Detective. That's right. Which was pretty exciting too. And then, um, you know, I did uh, Harriet with uh, Cynthia Revo. Right. So it's been a really banner year with like superstar talent. Yeah. Big, big films and fun to watch movies. And your, you know, your filmography is kind of uh, villain oriented, right? Right. Yeah. Last three or four years I've been a villain. This is uh, the first non-villain in four years, I believe. So why do you think that is? How'd that, how'd that start? I don't know. People say I'm the nicest guy they know. I'm like, I don't know. I like to play mean. I don't know. You just... You do something, and then they they, they kind of stereotype you into you know, casting, right? Uh, so they see the real, and they're like, "Oh, that guy's a good asshole." So let's, <laughs> let's keep making him an asshole. Yeah. As you may have noticed, 
There are great resources and advice mentioned in all our episodes. And for many of them, we actually collect all of these resources for you in one easy place. Our newsletter. You can go to dreampathpod.com slash newsletter to join. It's not fancy. Just an email about each week's episode, featured artists, and resources to help you on your journey. Thanks. And now back to the interview. Harriet Tubman, the, the Harriet, uh, the, that was funny because my wife's from Mississippi. I'm from New York, and I auditioned with a Southern accent. She made fun of me for for at least three months. <laughs> And then I get the part and then it becomes like a big job and I'm away for six weeks working, doing my Southern accent, which is yeah. pretty good. I lived in New Orleans, married a Mississippi girl. You know, I can do a Southern accent. Yeah. I can do regional Southern, but she made fun of me. Oh. And I had the last laugh. So, so you, you have this, um, you know, this experience playing the villain and then all of a sudden in the glory is you're, you're the nice guy. Well, he's uh, not a super nice guy. Yeah. There, but, it's more complicated than that. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I sure. had said that, but to me, it's like he was a positive influence on her life. A net positive. Yeah. 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 Even though they sparred about stuff. I, I, the way I played it was that he was learning that there is a movement that women are women. Yeah. You know, he was, he was a, he was open to the idea that women could be stronger than he, he had believed. Yeah. And he was young enough to be open to the fact. And you can see that in your yeah. facial expressions well, thank you. too, yeah, as that's... she's sitting on the desk next to you. And you're yeah. just kind of like, this is happening whether <laughs> I, whether, whether I, it's ha- yeah. yeah, whether I want to, to happen this way or not. It's, which goes yeah. to the big part of the movie that it's really about women's empowerment. Right. And I'm like, I, I'm very glad to be able to have done something like that. You know, my mom was very into Gloria Steinem. She was a superhero for her ERA in 77. I'm, I, I grew up with this stuff. And like, now I get to be part of it. My mom's pretty stoked. So did you learn a lot about Gloria Steinem in the process of making the film and studying and, you know, researching yeah. for it? Yeah, you read yeah. the books. You read, you, I read the book it was based on, of course. Uh, you, you know, you, you, you research articles. I mean, my mom was a good reference. Yeah. She, she knew more about it than I did. Yeah. But, um, you know, Gloria gave her life up for the progress of women. Mm-hmm. And I think that they get to that. Yeah, I no think kids. she's, she's sacrifi- sacrificed quite a bit. Yeah. 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 Well, I got to meet her. She was at the after party, and I saw the picture. Yeah. You have to text yeah. that to me because yeah. I I want to. Um, I'll send you a couple of them actually yeah. if you put them on there. But uh, yeah. she was lovely. I'll and still eighty three, and she's totally with it. She does not look in her. 80s I know it's crazy. At all yeah, just gorgeous, just knockout, smart, sweet, intelligent. She was so quick on stage, making jokes. Yeah, that was a great Q and A. Yeah, it was. I'm very lucky to be involved with that, and. Harriet too, and everything. It's been a really good year. Although I haven't worked since July, so what do you know? <laughs> a lot of good movie premieres, but so let's go back to mm-hmm. how you got your start in the arts. Did you do anything in grade school, junior high, high school that was theater related or acting related? Yeah, I've always been a ham. I went to Catholic school, so the oppression probably pulled it out of me. I think <laughs> I remember dressing up in drag in fourth grade with that Anjuli ad. Do you remember this? Anjuli. It was a perfume. I can bring home the bacon, fry it up in a pan. <laughs> you remember this? Okay, well, it's out there. I it's remember. Re- no, I remember. It that. was a really famous. How old are you? I'm 40 something. Okay, I'm 48. Yeah. So we're probably about the yeah. same. Yeah. It, so I did it in fourth grade. I dressed up, had the class in hysterics, and it was really fun to do. And it's really just about fun. Like I really have a lot of fun acting. And uh, it probably started from there and I got a role in a play in seventh grade and ninth grade. And then I did it all. I, even though I'm a potter by trade, I went to art school for clay. I'm actually a clay artist part-time now. It's all for fun. But I yeah. uh, ended up doing theater at Alfred University in Western New York. And then took 10 years off um, playing music and partying in New Orleans. And then moved to Boston for graduate school at Harvard. Wow. ART and, and uh, Harvard through the Moscow Art Theater. What a trajectory. 
Yeah, you know, very fun. Uh, did some cool stuff in New Orleans. You know, was a stilt clown for a Budweiser convention, and doing Mardi Gras stuff, and doing crazy plays in hot, hot areas. And stilt clown. Yeah, I was a stilt clown. So you're walking around on stilts dressed yeah. as a clown. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Three and a half feet. I learned how to do it that day. It's not that hard. Oh, the, the image is great. I like yeah, that. I got pictures. Uh, met Lou Rawls. That was kind of fun. And then we lived in New York for six years. Then we had a kid and um, then we moved to Wilmington. So we've been there a few years. So what kind of music were you playing in New Orleans? More, more like pop folk. Yeah, it was like mid-90s. So I was kind of like indie pop folk and uh, it really wasn't what New Orleans was doing. So I ended up getting back in the theater. Yeah. Met my wife doing a play in 97. Uh, got married in 2001. You could probably fill in the blanks. Okay. So the the um, musical instruments you play or do you, are Guitar, you singers? Guitar, bass, sing. Yeah. yeah, front man. Yeah. You know, ham. Again, it's all the same. Just put them up front. I, mean, I also teach college, 200 students in the intro to theater class so at UNCW and Cape Fear Community College. Wow. So it's like sushi money. <laughs> it's only part-time, but. Yeah. And I teach online a little bit too. Uh, so that's a fun little kind of day job type thing. When did you, um, when did you start teaching uh Probably 2012. Yeah. 2012. It's not full time. You know, it's really just kind of fun stuff. And I love teaching and acting. I just don't do that too, too much anymore. But yeah, the arts, my dad was a kind of an artist, a uh, uh, wood artist. And then I got into the clay young and then did a lot of clay in, uh, in high school and some theater. And then I ended up really just choosing theater because I thought it was the closest and fastest way to get to what I wanted to do. Although back to the stand up comedy, that's where I think everyone should start because mm. you learn how to fail. Mm. If you're bad, You'll get better. Right. <laughs> you just got to keep going. Yeah. And you just have to figure out why you're bad. Yeah. People want to laugh. You just got to pave the road. And sometimes you don't have, need to pave a, a, a hard road. You can do it with stones. Mm -hmm. You can do it with dust. They just want to be able to laugh. Like in downhill, everyone wanted to be part of Julia Louis Dreyfus's little goofy things, mm -hmm. you know? And then they laugh. They're like, ah, there's money and funny, as they say. Nat Faxon yeah. and Jim Rash. Yeah. Just, oh. Going back to downhill, yeah, the the brilliance of their screenplay, mm -hmm. and the way way back, and the Descendants, and all. I mean, yeah. those guys are yeah. just crazy we, talented. We know him through Kimmy Hemingway, who's uh, his sister, and she lives in Wilmington, teaches creative writing. Oh, cool! So we were yeah. able to meet him this time. Yeah, they're they're masters of the the subtle comedy, the uncomfortable. So why why Harvard? What led you to Harvard? I did a summer school there in year two thousand. And it just was, it was, it was a Russian program, so Stanislavski work. It was mm. the most that made sense to me. And you got in. I mean, it was pretty competitive. And so I got in 2001, and we studied in Moscow for four months and uh, graduated 2003. Now, yeah. is that method acting, what they call Stanislavski? Yeah, it's, it's Stanislavski? sort of like loosely based yeah. on a kind of put yourself in it, resemble the character, uh, become a cop, go be a cop for 20 hours and mm -hmm. you'll have a lot more to deal with. I mean, that's a really basic way to say it, but crawl into their skin. Yeah. You know, you gotta learn some things, discover some things, but I mean, that's again, that's a very basic way to say it. I don't like teaching too much theory cause it, uh, I think it gets in the way. Yeah. So what do you think helped you the most to be, to gain the skill set that you have now that gets you all these roles in film and television? <laughs> I don't know, but I can't choose yet. Yeah. I'm willing to, if anyone needs an actor actually around 40, <laughs> can do a bunch of accents. A white guy, average looking, please. Oh, me. you're much better than average At, looking. Come <laughs> on, mate. At Nikki Bisky. Uh, what, I mean, you just, it's just, if you have a lot of fun, I mean, I think Tom Hanks said it best at the Golden Globes. Come prepared, come on time, come with a, a trove of ideas and be willing to fail. Huh? Everyone says that sort of thing, but it is true. That's a good quote. Be on time, come with ideas, be willing to fail. So you're, basically, it sounds like you're driven by a philosophy more than, you know, any, Thing that you learned at Harvard. Well, I like or, health insurance. You know, 
Okay. So that's what I'm driven by. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I got to make 35000 a year. That's my main, that's goal one. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and so that's what I strive for. So, you know, if you can get that, that's a great thing. I'm still on the books for this year. I think that the next goal might be just do good work with good people. Yeah. You know, that's what I told Nat yesterday when I saw him. You know, we're not friends yet, but uh, we're quite colleagues and uh, acquaintances. And I told him, you know, it's just that's really what we all strive for is to do good work with good people. Yeah. And then make some money too. Yeah. But I don't need to be a cajillionaire. I just want to make insurance and then maybe someone beyond that. Well, I think Nat, Nat's a good example of making your own, doing exactly. your own work. Exactly. That's what I told him. And I told him yesterday. I said, I admire your career so much because you did it. You did it on your own. You yeah. Know? Of course, some connections, sure, you do. It all becomes done. You, you snowball, but you do it yourself. You become funny. You do some stuff. People want to work with you. Well, Nat, Nat Faxon and uh, Jim Rash, I, I talked to them on the red carpet about how they got their start, and they talked about how they, I think they met at improv class yep. or yep. around that yep. time frame. And this goes back to your recommendation about stand-up, whether it's yeah, stand improv or, mm-hmm. or stand-up. It's, it's that willingness to fail in front of others yeah. and just put yourself out there and be present uh, while you're doing it. Vulnerable, pleasant. Yeah. Um, you're going to fail anyway. See, you may as well fail gloriously. I think it was uh, Don Cheadle who said, come wrong, strong. Oh, okay. Yeah. I mean, I, I, like I steal that. all these quotes because it's true. If you, you come wrong strong, at least you come strong. Mm-hmm. It might be wrong, but they're going to remember. Yeah. And that's what you want to be remembered to do something different. I still can't. You know, it's still we all strive to, to, to be different, but it's – you got to put yourself in a pattern, artistic pattern, uh, a habit of doing those sort of things. And eventually the work will come, you hope. So when you look back on your filmography and your your television work, your film work, do you you lean one way or the other? I know you're driven by health insurance and a a paycheck because you have to survive and provide for your family. But artistically, are you leaning toward uh, film versus television? Interesting question. I mean, you take the work. I've never refused too, Mm -hmm. too much work. So I've been lucky enough to be involved with two historical icons. Yeah. I mean, this year, Harriet and Gloria Steinem in the same year. Janelle Monae is the only one that's in both movies, too. Oh, I noticed that. I was, <laughs> I was, I was looking at the filmography. Yeah. yeah. She's a little higher on the totem pole than me. But I'm like, I can't wait. So I met her at the Harriet in premiere in L.A. I'm like, yeah, we're in, I, did, I forgot to mention we're in Glorious. But to be involved with those two, I mean, if you want to be involved in historical movies, yeah, it's like I would rather do that. But, I mean, there's some great TV shows, too. Mm-hmm. Um, if Yogi becomes a miniseries i mean that'll be fun i I really don't differentiate between the two it's just what's happened yeah just tail the tape and the the sea of content that we have out there now has obviously created i think you mentioned this more opportunities for working actors does that always translate into lower paychecks because i think it does i mean it's you know there's a total income there's a total pool so you know i remember when internet first came about you know you found that the theater actors, right, A-list, were getting squashed down to be theater actors because all the stars wanted to do theater. And now TV, it's squashing down a level too. You know, it's all levels and monies and this and that sort of thing. So be, I still think there's a total pool of money and it really comes down to that. But it's, as long as you can work consistently. I mean, I think the series regular is a goal. That's that's a goal of mine. A uh, steady paycheck that you're doing, you can dive into a character. Mm-hmm. Super arc, you have a lot of things you can create with. That's that's my goal at this point and writing Yogi. I mean, but I, I don't really see the difference anymore. I mean, you, know, you, you tell an eight-part tale. You know, it's funny. Being part of True Detective was a really honor because I think True Detective put it, the miniseries kind of on the map. Oh, in, I think you're way. right. And, I mean, it was so revolutionary. And then everyone's kind of doing it. Yeah. 
a lot it, of similarities too. But it just True Detective for me, um, the first season was almost like when The Sopranos came out. Yeah, it, there was this, change the game. Yeah, it's a game changer, and then tr- it's like okay, now this is the new norm. But then True Detective comes out, and now that's it. A, a new. I don't think it's been replicated though. I don't think True Detective has been done. Uh, I mean, it's hard th- to make brilliant things. Yeah, I think we all see that. And in fact, there's a lot of miniseries like, well, you know, you get past two episodes, you're like, I'm done. Yeah, and that happens a lot more than it it doesn't. I mean, so much, so much going on. When you got that part, it was season three, right? Mm-hmm. True Detective. So you had had the benefit of seeing or at least some of the episodes from the first two seasons and kind of sure. the height. They each had their own uh, kind of tone, though. Yeah, and different directors too, right? Uh, or was it the same director? No. I mean, season three had di- – I mean, all seasons had different directors. Yeah, I think it was like new. And each episode sort yeah. of had different directors too. Uh, I think season – my season, uh, they ended up using one consistent director after episode three. Yeah. Um, it was going a little slow, and I think they – Need to speed things up, right? As I heard, but you know, the tones were a little different. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I'm, I screwed up your question. No, no, no. The que- the question was when you when you went into season three of True Detective with that part, did you come in uh, intimidated at all? Because this is such a huge hit, and and you're working with an, an amazing talent everywhere. And I know this is not the first time you worked with amazing talent, and you're an amazing talent. Yeah, exactly. But I was just wondering what your mindset was uh no it was in. just you know you just you, you pick the circumstances and you're just living truthfully yeah. it was actually kind of interesting because you know it was it was uh it was a time essentially a period piece now 80s are in of course i grew up in the 80s so i could have worn the clothes i had in the 80s <laughs> right and, you know it was it was like and these were vintage they were paying thousands of dollars for these op coats and just these things that i probably had myself right and no it's just you live this given circumstances of any situation and i was a dad yeah, I'm a dad. It really wasn't a stretch, and it was fun. I mean, Stephen Dorff and, and Mahershala were magical. You know, it was a nice little scene. They cut that scene. It was a bummer, though, because it was a little longer than that. We were there a 10-hour ten, ten day. So the two-minute scene was 10 hours. Oh, my goodness. To give goodness. you young students at home uh, an idea of how hard it is. Well, it's not work to me. It's just sometimes you have long days, but it's never work. Right. So. Now, it sounds like your parents were really supportive and kind of artsy themselves. Yeah, my dad's an, an artist and, you know, they didn't really care what I did. Yeah. They were like, oh, fine. <laughs> you know, I got, I went to college, I graduated in time and never failed a class. I mean, you could be proud about that. Uh-huh. I only got two Ds. Sure. In college, both in Western Civ. <laughs> <laughs> well, do you think that the freedom that they gave you, you know, to, to roam and to wander and to kind of find your own way was formative for you i mean if that's a polite way to say they got divorced and i was kind of nutto <laughs> okay yeah yeah sure they gave me they gave me range to roam go ahead steal the car at 14 <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah that's that's how i created yeah uh you know the older i get the more that i understand that all negative things help i mean it's true if it doesn't kill you it's kind of probably change it for the better yeah do you have uh, kids i have one 12 year old yeah mm-hmm. do you find yourself when you look back on the childhood that you had, whether it was freedom or however you want to frame it, you know, with your parents letting you do what you wanted to do, do you find yourself not able to do that? Because I have kids and I, I tell you, I, I have a real hard time not trying yeah. to micromanage you, and you try not to them. be your dad, even though you can't help but be your dad. Right. But your grandparents are spoiling the hell out of them, I'm sure. Right. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. Of course I do. Yeah. yeah. You know, I was like, oh God, are you going to smoke cigarettes? Oh no. 
Oh no, when are you going to do it? When are you going to, uh, don't steal the car, please. I don't know. She's pretty well adjusted. My, my daughter, she went to a friend's school, so she's got like hippie values and oh, I cool. think she's more mature than I was. Yeah. And we're not divorced. <laughs> so yeah, to me, that was the hardest thing I went through was divorce at 11. You know? So if she at age 16, 17 says, dad, I'm going to go to New Orleans and play some music. What would you say to her? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, can we talk about that after? Yeah. Okay. Can we be friends and let's make sure we'll give her uh, sure. updates? Sure. Uh, I have three daughters, so, oh, you know. How old? Uh, 18, 21, and 28. Oh, okay. So yeah. they're adults. Yeah. We'll ask your advice then after our session. Sure. Yeah. I hope I can be. I, 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 I fear the, dad, I'm getting a tattoo. That's oh, the one that's. That's already happened to me. <laughs> My kids have multiple tattoos. I'm going to invest in tattoo removal equipment because right. that's where the money's going to be in 10 years. Yeah. It's like everyone's going to want it. And they don't put any thought to it. I'm like, if you're going to get a tattoo, at least get something like yeah. go to Bang Bang in New York or something. You know, some oh, Make sure. Or good doc- quality, make it artistic, and somewhere you can't be seen. Yeah. Dr. Wu in Los Angeles, you know, go big <laughs> or go home. <laughs> uh, I hope. I think she's going to want to. I think she's going to want to do things. Yeah. She's, she's already been to several countries. We're very lucky. So we've been to Cuba and uh, Alaska and uh, Puerto Rico, Ireland. Mm-hmm. I never had these experiences before I was 21. So she's pretty worldly. I'm yeah. excited for her future. Yeah. And it sounds like you're probably going to be open to just letting her choose her know. own path. I mean, I'm scared. You know? Yeah. It's just like you don't know how much you love something to you have a kid. Yeah. <laughs> and you're like, how do I love this as much? I, I interviewed an actor named Jerry Shea who was on a Showtime series called uh, City on the Hill with Kevin Bacon. Oh, yeah. That's Eldis Hodge, right? And he was in turn. And Kevin Bacon and then Eldis Hodge plays the DA, right. right? Yeah. Okay. So I was talking to Jerry Shea and I learned from that interview that he actually quit. He, he was on Broadway in this um, Sondheim musical called Passion Yeah. in the early 90s. And then he got into a couple of films, Boston-related thriller films and and then he left acting for many many years and the reason he left was being on the road was just too mm-hmm. difficult he had two kids and he just said this is what i'm going to do i'm going to raise my kids i'm going to work for a nonprofit." and so he quit oh. did, so did, did you story. do you find when you're working the way that you do and you're you're going to wherever the project is whether it's atlanta or los angeles or new york and all of those places are places you don't live that it it's difficult to balance the the parenting and you know being there for your kid the way well, you I've been lucky be. there've been shorter shoots you know I was able to come home from Richmond where Harry was filmed I was able to come home on the weekends and I have not really suffered a two month extended stay away from my daughter so yeah. I don't think I can honestly answer that I haven't had that experience yeah I mean, you've been she, pretty lucky that way very lucky yeah yeah you know, I drove to Richmond and it's only four hours. I drove a lot to Richmond and then we come back and then uh, actually the Glorious was just one day. So drove to Savannah, drove back the next day. So what kind of opportunities are there in North Carolina? You live in North Carolina, but- Very few. You know, yeah. No, the incentives all went to Georgia. Um, they're in sort of litigation about that now. I moved there for the film, uh, for film and I haven't worked in the state in six years. Last thing I did was Safe Haven, the movie. Yeah. It's just because it's all money. Like I said, it went to Georgia and they have the better incentives. So they're going to attract a lot more talent and film yeah. studios. And it may come back, you know, doing a couple things there now, but I want to work close to home if that's what you're getting at. Right. Yeah. yeah so you're, you're keeping your home base in North Carolina. Well, that's for my daughters in school. So yeah. we're not going to change that for At least six for years. another six years. The goal is to years. probably move back to New York in six years because yeah, I, I do theater too. And commer- I haven't really done a commercial either, but it's a lot more opportunity in New York. And I got a new manager. Genevieve Brewer and Tracy Heller. 
Genevieve Brewer Management. Shout out. Shout out. Right on. Um, so they're excited to work with me and I have got a, a commercial agent up there. I do a lot of, well, I don't do a lot of voiceovers. I read a lot of voiceovers. So, mm-hmm. And so Alice. would your advice be for, you know, for someone who's in high school or college and they're going to make that leap to try to get into acting? Go to Georgia. Go to Georgia? Yeah. Really? Yeah, Over Los Angeles? I mean, I, I don't get along with LA very well. I mean, you know, it's a crapshoot. If you're 20 and gorgeous, sure, go. Okay. You know, if you got a the degree, uh, you know, now my advice is go to Georgia. Really? Yeah, because you can live cheap. You can live like a normal human. Mm. You know, there's still opportunity. You know, they, they shoot like 30 TV shows there. So you're going to have a lot more opportunity for a specific type. Mm-hmm. Um, they need ethnic types, you know. That's where they shoot Walking Dead, right? Walking, all three of them. No, yeah. actually one's in Richmond now. Okay. I think the Walking Dead 3 is there. Um, that would be my advice. But again, I don't, I don't, I've never lived in LA. I've only visited and not really enjoyed it. So mm-hmm. well, that's New York's important. by my speed. My family's in New York. Yeah. You know. It's your home base. Well, your former home base anyway. No, it's, mm-hmm. it's sort of, my dad still lives there. So I go up yeah. every summer and we're able to travel the way upstate New York. Mm-hmm. But I mean, like, I, I mean, I don't know. It's like every journey's different. But again, stand up. I'm telling you, if you could just master that quickly, not that it's easy. I'm not saying anything. Mm-hmm. Nothing's easy. And if someone is going to try stand up, what is the first step that they take to do I don't know. That? I don't do it. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I, only, I only talk about it. All right. Okay. <laughs> but, you know, you get a minute. And it's just like telling a story. It's like you were saying. It's just You just got to go and find the story that the people want to hear. I think downhill's so perfect because it's at a ski town. I mean, it was like it's a win-win for everybody. Yeah. You know, we're at Park City. <laughs> Why, of course, people want to laugh about skiing. And they know all the goofy things that are funny about skiing and ski slopes and weird European people yelling at you and, and being better skiers and this and that. So, you know, find that little thing. That would be my advice. Again, I don't do it. I'm thinking about it because I teach college, and that's sort of the same thing. Yeah. What about improv? Is that something? Oh, yeah, improv, that you... too. I, I combine them. I, I said they're sort of like the same thing. Yeah. But you, but you do improv with your theater students, or do you – uh, use that as well, again, a tool? I haven't taught acting in a couple yeah. of years. I'm only in short of theater. Okay. So I'm not really in, in that. Uh, and it's been online. Uh, yeah, but I always, I always, I think your, ba- your base creativity comes from being able to, to do it quickly. Hmm. Put yourself in that mind. Some people hate it. I mean, I love it. Yeah. You fail, but. What did you think about that, that improv prompt? Uh, at, oh, it was great. The, cause the, they, <laughs> cause it was real. At downhill. Yeah. yeah. It's like, I always wish a, they'd kind of kept going. You're in a bakery. And it, it, yep. that was but Amazing. that's it. That's why yeah. they're all creative. That's yeah. why they don't stop. They don't stop thinking. I mean, Julia did that what when she was in Second City. Wasn't she Second City? I can't remember if she was or not. I know. And then SNL. I mean, I don't know. She, she, you know. Yeah, I loved it. I was like, ha, ah, what a little bonus. And they stopped it. I wish, kind of wish they had kept going. I know. And I, I did not press record. I had my camera. I didn't hit record. Uh, I was like, if only I'd caught that intro. <laughs> that was a brilliant way to yeah. start start yeah. the screening. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Nick, it's been really great talking yeah. to you. Yeah. Thank you. This Thanks for sitting great. down with me. Yeah, this is fun. Yeah, so let's have a follow-up conversation yeah. uh, after I'm available. Yeah, after your next project. Yeah. Well, it's I have actually something. I'm in um Stargirl. It's a DC streaming with um I think one of the Wilson brothers, Luke. Oh, Luke's the star. I play a science teacher or a math teacher. I can't oh, remember. Yeah? TV or, or film. At streaming. So oh, it's the D stream uh, it's the D C streaming. I'm not sure where it is right now, if that's still happening with the swamp thing and it's called Stargirl. It's like a superhero for teens. Oh, cool. I was filmed in Atlanta. And uh two episodes of that. So that's my next project. But I don't know where it went or when. I'll I'll check that out. And yeah. where can people find you on social media or the internet? Uh that's so it's at Nikki Bisky Twitter. No, I'm sorry, at Nick Boss to NYC Twitter and um 
I forget my Instagram. <laughs> so it's N-I-C-K-B-A-S-T-A, N-Y-C for your your Twitter handle, right? I think it's Nick Basta NYC. Nick Basta NYC. At, yeah. Okay. And then they can find you on, on Instagram. Yeah. They'll just yeah. search your name. I should be more prepared. But. Okay. Um, yeah. Well, and I'll put this up on the show notes too. Okay. That's great, man. Th- thanks a lot, Nick. Thank you. Hey, thank you for listening. And I hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Dream Path Podcast. If so, I have a favor to ask. Can you go to your favorite podcast service and give me a rating and review? Your feedback is what keeps this podcast going. I appreciate your time, and as always, go find your dream path.